This week, I have been focusing in several different ways on the whole issue of belonging. It's interesting how sometimes our paths just converge into an area. And uh, I was, I'm reading a book at home right now that's dealing with the issue of violence in the Old Testament. Uh, I had done some other reading this week. I was doing preparation for the, for the sermon this morning. And everything, in one way or another, kept coming back to this issue of belonging. The importance of belonging. I had the opportunity one time years ago, <laughs> decades ago, to uh, actually meet William Glasser. He's a psychiatrist. Uh, he is a founder of a form of counseling and therapy known as reality therapy, or uh, others have referred to it as uh, choice therapy. I had the opportunity to meet him and listen to him. And Glasser actually challenged a lot of the conventional practices, believing that a lot of the problems that we experience emotionally have to do with the choices that we're making and the outcome of those choices. In fact, he said that we tend to act out our unhappiness uh, and we struggle when there's a lack of meaning and meaningful personal connections with other important people in our lives. He once said, and I quote, We almost always have choices, and the better the choice, the more we will be in control of our lives. I know that's true in my own life. As I think back about problems that I've had at one time or another, most of them, most of them were because of bad choices that I made. You see, his focus was on how do we really understand and deal appropriately with reality? He, he also wrote, and this one has been quoted often and published, he said we're driven by five genetic needs and those are, one, survival, two, love and belonging, three, power, four, freedom, and five, fun. He said those are, those are right into our genetic makeup. We need to have those. If we don't have times of fun in our life, then we start having problems as well. But I highlighted one of these, and that is this whole issue of love and belonging. A basic need that we have as individuals. As I was researching, I went online. I went to Google. And I typed in the exact phrase. You can do that on a Google search by using quotation marks. I typed in the exact phrase that I wanted it to find, and the phrase I entered was the importance of belonging. The importance of belonging. 
And I got 172 million hits. Now, I didn't go through all of them, I promise you that. The need for belonging. The desire for belonging. There was an article that I did look at, and it was called The Importance of Belonging Across Life. In other words, how at different stages in our life we still need to feel that we belong, but it changes as we get older. And here's a, here's a quote from that article that I wanted to share with you. The writer said, Social isolation and exclusion experienced in childhood and adolescence can affect psychosocial adjustment and transitions into adulthood. And I thought about that for a second. And you know what? Social isolation and exclusion that are being experienced right now during this COVID situation are also affecting people in terms of their transitions and adjustments. And then, across adulthood, they go on, relationships play an important role in physical and mental health. And the problem? The sources of belonging often become disruptive. They shift and they evolve. Now, let me share this with you. And I think it's important. Galatians is not primarily about how to be saved. Are you hearing me? Galatians is primarily not about how to be saved. And a lot of people have looked at that, it that way. Oh, are we saved by grace or are we saved by law? That's not the primary focus of the book, the letter. The primary focus is upon how and why unity is important once you are saved. Now, with that in mind, let me borrow from Facebook. And it looks like maybe we were having a problem with our feed this morning. Uh, But... One of the things that comes up on Facebook is the issue of what is your status. Look at what Paul says is our status as Christians. Chapter 3, verse 27. We are baptized into Christ. We're baptized into Christ. And then another thing that Facebook likes is the idea of of a profile picture. And in that same verse, the profile picture that we're giving is those who have put on Christ. And so, if we just borrow their format for a second, who are we? What is the importance of who we are? Well, the importance is, is that you and I, notice what Paul says. If we have been baptized, if we have been baptized, if we have buried our old self and risen to walk in newness of life, if we have been baptized, we have put on Christ. 
That's how we're clothed. That's what we should be portraying to people who are, who are around us. In fact, He tells us what it means. Verses 27 and 28. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, there's the status, have put on Christ, there's the picture of who we are, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. The important issue, the emphasis that you and I need to be hearing from Galatians is not whether or not we're saved, we're justified by grace. That is a fact that is true. Believe it or not, because I know you've been taught otherwise for many, many years, I can show you verse after verse after verse in the Old Testament where the Israelites understood that they were saved, they were chosen by God's grace. Not because they earned it, merited it. They were a great people, a great nation. They understood that. And now the issue that Paul is dealing with, primarily because of the problem that happened because of Peter's action. A leader of the church, an apostle, had chosen to separate himself from Christians who were Gentiles. 21st century. The only thing that kept me from being the minister of a black congregation, predominantly black congregation, in the west end of Louisville, Kentucky, was because at that time they could not afford a full-time minister. Had they been able to afford us on a full-time basis, I would have been the minister of that congregation in the West End of Louisville, Kentucky. And there are many times that I've said to myself, you know what, I probably should have done that and gotten a job and, and did both at that time. I question, I've questioned sometimes whether or not in fact that that was what God was calling me to do. Uh, and to figure out how to support the family in terms of income with other means. Because it doesn't matter once we are Christians, the color of our skin, our ethnicity. It doesn't matter how much we make or don't make. There is nothing that aggravates me anymore than to see a church that has become a social clique. Our group. Our people. What we are doing. Oh well, I don't know if you belong here. You're not quite like us. God didn't say we're to go out and tell people to clean up so they can come to church. God said you bring them in and let me do the cleaning up. We need to be one. And the key verse in our text for today, is verse 7. So you're no longer a slave, but you're a son, and a daughter by the way. And if a son slash daughter, then you are an heir through God. Once you are a Christian, you are a part of the family. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. 
I have a feeling there are many people that will sing that song today in churches across this nation that only mean the family of God who are white Anglo-Saxons like me. And I'm glad those others aren't coming here. And that is not Christianity. So today, my message is about belonging. Belonging. And I've actually backed up with my text to include these verses that I've already read, but I'm going to read them again because of how important they are. Our text is chapter 3, verse 27. I'm not going to read down to verse 20, although I will comment on it. I'm going to read through at least that key verse, verse 7. Read with me. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ... Don't tell me baptism isn't important. Read Romans 6 again. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs. And if you're Christ, then you are Abraham's... I don't know why that repeated. Maybe I need to repeat it. Heirs. According to the promise. I mean that the heir as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managers until the day set forth by his father. By the way, did you notice that reading it that way, there is no break in the thought between chapter 3 and chapter 4. Those chapter divisions came much later, as I've shared with you, the 1200s versus 1600s, and a lot of times were put in where they shouldn't have been put. I want to read that again so you see. Look at the... And if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise, chapter 4. I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managers until the day set by by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying... What's that next word say? You know what it really says? It says, Daddy. Daddy. That's the Aramaic word for endearment. Not formal, but personal. Daddy, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We need to hear that verse. We need to hear that verse because there are a lot of people today who want to be children of all kinds of things. They want to carry the name Christian, but they don't really want to be children of God. 
people say, well, what do you mean by that? How can you say that? Well, I think it's easy, and I think Paul points that out in this passage. This passage that we're looking at today is about contrast and about choices. And he basically lays three of them out before us today. The first one is, is that there are a lot of people who are remaining in an oppressive lifestyle instead of choosing to enjoy the privileges as redeemed children. You don't earn an inheritance. That's what Paul is saying. You don't earn an inheritance. But yet, notice what he also says. You can't enjoy that inheritance until you've met what is called for in the will. Now, you don't have to raise your hands. But think about it with me. How many of you have a will? And how many of you in your will have stipulated certain things that need to be? It's not uncommon. And if the people don't meet those stipulations, they don't receive their portion of the inheritance. Are you hearing me? It's not an issue of legalism. It's not an issue of works. It's just simply saying, I am willing to meet the requirements that have been laid out before me as a true child. So baptism isn't a work. Baptism is one of the ways that we say, Father, you want me to bury the old self and rise to walk in newness of life? I will do that so that I can put on Christ. I mean, the question comes up. Why are we doing all that we do? Why do we come to church on Sunday mornings? If we only come to church on Sunday mornings because we want the neighbors seeing us going to church on Sunday mornings, you might as well stay home. If we're only coming to church on Sunday mornings because mom and dad might want us to go to church or grandma might want us to go to church, you might as well stay home. If you're only reading your Bible because you feel that you absolutely have to read your Bible every day or you're lost, by all means, you need to quit reading your Bible. We have to understand that to be a Christian, to live the Christian life, means that we are willing to make the choice to get rid of repression and choose privilege. I have the privilege of the Spirit dwelling within me. And I'll tell you what a privilege that is. There are a whole lot of times that I just sit there and I say, man, I don't know what to say. I've gone to people's houses and just sat there and said, I don't have any words, but I'm here for you. And sometimes the Lord will give me something to share. Sometimes I'll just sit there in love. You see, we can't enjoy the Christian life until we are emancipated, set free. Which brings me to the second point. And here's the question that I want to raise before I get there. 
Why do you think Jesus chose Passover? I mean, we need to think about this, and we need to think about it in terms of the big picture. I think, I might be wrong, I might get to heaven and get pulled off to the side and lectured on this one. But I think Jesus' primary primary purpose was not to save us to go to heaven. If that would have been His primary purpose, atonement, I think He would have chosen Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, to ride into Jerusalem to confront the people and to face crucifixion. Because Yom Kippur was about the atonement of sins. What was Passover about? Liberation. Freedom. Being emancipated. Being set free. Jesus chose Passover so that He could become our King. He could set us free from previous dominions and bring us into a new kingdom. And so we could have sonship instead of slavery. It's about choosing to be a child instead of a slave. Now, let's go to a parable. A parable you all know. A parable about, we know it as, the parable of the prodigal son. But how does Jesus begin that parable? I mean, you can go back to Luke if you want and and check me out on this. That's fine. Luke chapter 15. Starts at verse 11. How does He begin this parable? He doesn't say there was a prodigal son one time who went away. The parable is actually about a man who had two sons. There was a man who had two sons. And it tells us first about the one who was prodigal, who went away, who realized the error of his ways and came home. And when he came home, he humbled himself and he said, I'm not even worthy of being your child. I'll come in as one of your servants. I think we are more like the second son. Very few of us have gone afar into a foreign country, done everything that we know that we shouldn't have done, even eating the slop given to pigs, which for a Jewish person, and you talk about the bottom of the pit. They They didn't even eat pigs, far less the leftovers that the pigs weren't eating. Very few of us have ever been in that situation. And if we would read that parable more often, understanding it as a parable about a man who had two sons, we might be more willing to see ourselves in the second son. The son who didn't go away. The son who stayed there but listened to his words when the father invited him in. He wouldn't even come into the party that was being given for his brother. And when the father invited him into the party, he he said, Well, I've been here all of this time slaving for you. Do us. 
form of the word doulos, a servant. I hear, I've been here you're, as your slave, your servant. I've done all these things for you, Father. I've been a Sunday school teacher. I've been a deacon. I've been an elder. I've done the communion trays. I've done all of these things for you, Father. And you've never given me a banquet. We're more like the second son. Not a real son. Not a son who would go out and say, yes, Daddy, Father, Abba, I'll come in with you because this is someone you love and therefore I will love them too. Back in 1996, Ann Landers. How many of you used to read Ann Landers religiously? When Yeah, loved it. Loved it. I used to cut them out and keep them in a file because they were always good illustration material. Well, in August of 1996, there was one about a lady who had two sons and one of the two sons was adopted. And they were out and somebody who came in, like happens all of the time, whose mouth overran their brain. You know those people. They get their tongue in here before their clutch is depressed. And so they strip their gears. This lady looked at that lady with her two kids and she said, My, your one son doesn't look like his brother at all. And that little eight-year-old boy who was adopted said, I'm adopted. What that means is that we are in the same family but we don't have the same face. God bless that little boy for teaching that adult with a flappy tongue that what is most important is being a part of a family. Not how we look. Choosing to be a child. Choosing to live as a child. Behave like a child. Well, thirdly, Oh, i got to go one more place first. We didn't read it, but verses 8 down to 11, verses 8 down to 11 are basically saying that we have a tendency to choose other things. And we're going to get there. But these verses above that I've been reading, I guarantee you that I could read these verses to you again, change very little, tell you that I am preaching a sermon today out of the Old Testament, and if I read those verses again, you would think I was talking about the Exodus. Look at it. Go back and look at those verses. You were slaves. A decision was made to redeem you so that you could be in relationship with God. What did the Israelites tell Pharaoh they wanted to do? We want to go out into the wilderness so that what? We can worship our God. Paul is saying that you and I as Christians need to understand that what we are going through is a new exodus. A new liberation experience. 
And this one is brought about because God sent His Son. He sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, paralleling the phrases. But then He says two more parallels. To redeem those who were under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. You don't get it in the English, but the sentences are exactly constructed alike. So that you can be redeemed and so that you can be adopted. Choosing to be a son. So what's that mean? Again, as parents, how many of you at one time or another have said to one of your children, you say you love me, then just do what I'm asking you to do. Be obedient. You see, that's where Paul's going with this. It means choosing to be loyal to God instead of being enslaved to things. And that's what he gets at in verses 8 down to uh, 11. Those, he, he uses the word twice, those worthless elementary, elementary principles of the world. Well, actually, I don't agree with the translation. Do you find that strange, remarkable, unusual? Uh, elementary principles, those two words, in the Greek, it's just one word. And when I went back and looked at some other first century documents to find this phrase, you know what it was talking about? Things that those people in Paul's day were making themselves slaves to. That they were worshiping as idols. The element, the elements. Wind, fire, earth, storms, the sun, the moon. Those are all referred to with this word, stoichia, in the Greek in first century documents when Paul was writing. He said, you're allowing yourselves to submit yourselves to idolatry. And don't think we're not. Do you know what those elements of our society would be today? What are the three things that most people are captivated by the three things that draw a lot of our people away from church and away from Christianity. Money, sex, and power. All the time when you hear about problems, go back and reread the litany of ministers who have collapsed and failed. Money, sex, power. Those are the things that we tend to start worshiping with our lives. They're idols. They're things that are pleasures of this world. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6 very clearly says you can't have two masters. You can't serve God and money. So, now I use that same slide again. What's it mean for you and I? Well, in verses 12 down to the end of the chapter, verse 20, or down to the end of the section, verse 20, 
what Paul is doing in these verses is he is sharing with those Galatian Christians important elements of what it means to be a friend to somebody, to be united with them, to be joined with them. He said, you cared about me, I cared about you. You cared so much that you would have gouged your eyes out for me. I cared about you in that I didn't require paychecks from you. I serve. We need to become a unit, a family. And that's why he begins that verse 12 by saying, you know, you need to become like I am. Be willing to be someone who is a child of God. Who's willing to belong. I think I shared this last Sunday. I know I shared it maybe, if not Sunday, last Wednesday night. Because it's been on my mind all week. And I know I shared it somewhere. And I haven't been very many other places. Jesse and I listen every Monday morning to... Shane J. Wood, Professor Darren Ozark, as he does a devotion. And Shane shared very humbly that he said, some of you as my students, I guess it was when I was listening to his lectures and acts, he said, some of my students, you'll come back to me in 10 years when you're in ministry and you will basically ask me permission to allow a church to divide. And he said, you know what I'm going to tell you? No. Unless you are dividing over who Jesus Christ is or what Jesus Christ did for us in terms of salvation, anything else is not worth dividing over. We need to be one. We need to show the world one. And we need to show them that we are all children of the same God if we're truly Christians. Let's pray.